Well, that's the same video we saw last week, but I think the message in it is really perfect to set up what we're talking about today. And, and let me say this about prayer. I think many times it's very misunderstood uh, what prayer really is, what the goal of prayer, prayer is, and how prayer can literally be a part of transforming who we are. And so we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Um, if you will, go ahead and pull your outline out. If, if I were you, I'd go ahead and get the one out of the passport. Uh, the, the other one uh, from last week that you're continuing from two weeks ago or whatever, I've added some new material to the one today, okay? So go ahead and pull that out. You'll want to uh, probably look at the one for today. Well, I do want to thank those who are part of Mother's Morning Out. I know that uh, some of the staff that works with Mother's Morning Out is uh, a part of some of these services. <laughs> Excuse me, and uh, I just want to thank them for it's really been a great several years here recently, and and how God is using that ministry, and we're really seeing it starting to impact the community. And and and, and here's something we need to understand: we are a part of reaching the world. And that's what our dream is. That's what our goal is. That's what our prayer is: that we reach the world. And it's important that we reach the world and other parts of the world, like Africa, and Nepal, and all these different places. But it's also important that we reach our world right here in this community. And Mother's Morning Out is a unique program in which during the week we can see this campus come alive with all those children. And it is a blessing to, to be a part of that. And Kenny and Kristen and all those who have gone before them and the staff have done a wonderful job in that ministry. Well, we're continuing the whole idea of kingdom culture. And uh, if you've not been a part of the series up to this point, our, uh, what we're doing is sharing some things with you that was born out of our staff retreat last year, over a year ago, and uh, has continued and become developed over the year. And uh, this summer, the pastor sat down and said, okay, what are we really all about? Uh, I think we do a good job of, of talking about why we exist, but how about let's talk about how we exist and what the culture that we're trying to create here uh, in our church family. And so uh, we're on uh, uh, this series here, and if you'll go ahead and look at your outline, because we are a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories, we believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world by creating a culture where, number one, Jesus is what? Our lead story. Okay, we're going to keep doing it until you get it, okay? So Jesus is our lead story. Number two, that Jesus, uh, that scripture and prayer are prime. Now, the intention was to cover that in one week. Guess what week it is? We're in our third week of number two, so it may be a long time before we're through with this series. But anyway, uh, we're moving as the Spirit leads, right? Okay. All right. God gives us his word to bring about the good news of Jesus, and that good news is not that our sin made us bad people, even though we were. We're, the Bible says we're wicked in that. And somehow we might make ourselves better. The gospel cries out much more than that. It says that our sin has made us dead. And that Jesus is our only hope of ever being made alive. To miss this truth is to miss the purpose of life and the purposes of Christ. Therefore, all we do and say is anchored in the message of the gospel. So, so when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to endorse the ideas, philosophies, or opinions of men. But to exchange them by the transforming truth of God's word. So when we pray, we are agreeing with the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for his presence, and we are asking for his transforming power to consume, consume and move in us personally and corporately. 
Ultimately we, ultimately, we believe the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with His will, His ways, and His word. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to fill empty time or transition, transitions with empty words or phrases and call it prayer, but to invite the Holy Spirit to meet the deepest needs of those gathered for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Uh, some of you get here a little early on 930, for the 930 service, and you see a group of people up here praying. Uh, you do know they're praying for the service. You do know that, that almost every person I've heard pray up here on the stage as we prepare to come to worship the Lord and teach His Word, that the prayers of the people that are up here is that God would send His Holy Spirit, that His presence would be here in such a way that it changes the lives of people. We pray for each other as we stand here on this platform that, that he would have his way in our lives. And, and so it's not just a group of people getting up here saying the a same old prayer. It is inviting the Holy Spirit to invade our service. And y'all, that is our only hope is for him to come and invade our lives. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking there in just a little while. Uh, but James chapter 1 is where we're going to be coming out of the scripture this morning. Now, as you turn there, I want you to understand this. Around here, as I said, Scripture and prayer are prime. We believe Scripture, God's Word, is the inspired words of God. which The words in which God reveals Himself to us, words that transform our lives, words we trust to build our lives upon. Now let me say this, and this is something we've got to get, or it means nothing. We believe those words are inspired, and so therefore... They must have authority in our lives. Now, let me say this. I think most Christians would say, yes, I believe God's word is God's word. I believe it's inspired. But there's a lot of Christians not living their lives as if it is the authority in their life. They're not living there. And, and, and that is the reality we must come to terms with. That God has called us to see his word as the authority that speaks into our lives. But the problem is we get that authority and we submit to th authorities other than God's word. And the reason we know that is because we believe many of those messages are out there in the world. Messages identified to talk about our identity and our misplaced identity. And we need to get back to God's word. So what I want to do is I want to review last week very quickly. This was part two. And so look on your outline. Scripture and prayer provides insight for transformation. Now, if you were to say, if you were to look to God and say, okay, God, what, it, what are you trying to accomplish through your word and through my prayer life? Here's one thing that would be near the top of the list. What I want to accomplish in your life through my word and the prayers that you lift up is for transformation to take place in your life. Transformation. Not beautiful words. Not just learning God's word to have an awareness of the stories. It's much more than that. And many professing Christians have no idea really what transformation is all about. What God is attempting to do in their life through his word. What he's attempting to do in their life through prayer. And what prayer should look like. And so it's misplaced. So therefore, how can we get the most out of God's word? How can we be transformed by it? Well, it all begins, look on your outline, with revelation. Us being aware that God's word is literally God revealing himself to us. So what is he revealing? And this is important. He's revealing his plans. He's revealing his expectations. 
But more importantly, he's revealing himself, his own nature. And why is that important? Because he wants us to take on the likeness of his nature, the likeness of his nature. Now, so how does this come about? Well, revelation comes to us primarily two ways. We looked at this last week. There's general revelation. We see that through nature and even in our conscience. If you want to read more about that, look to Romans chapter 1. But then God comes to us also through what we call specific revelation, through prayer and God's word. And that's primarily what we're talking about today. And we can see what God's intended uh, uh, word is to do in our lives. As you read Psalms 119, you see a clear message of that. But not only do we have revelation, God revealing himself to us, we have something called interpretation, determining the intended meaning of God's word. Now, here's why this is sometimes a challenge. When God's word was originally written, the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. And so, therefore, uh, and I have friends and people that study Hebrew who, who help me to understand really a lot of the intended meaning of the writers. But there's a, something we need to understand. Interpretation is needed because, guess what? The original language of the Bible is not in English. You go from, in the Old Testament, you go from Hebrew to English. And with that, it sometimes takes a, another layer of study to understand the fullness of God's word. But then you come to the New Testament, and you've got primarily the Greek language. And when you move from the Greek language to the English language, or the Aramaic to the English language, language guess what? Sometimes if you're not careful, you, it's possible not to interpret things correctly. Everything from what's being read there to how the verbs are being used. And by the way, when you start looking at the Greek language and you look at verb tenses and all that, it is, on a, it is on what I would say on a grander scale than even the English language. And sometimes there's intended meaning there that we lose sight of because we don't understand what the verbs are really trying to say. And so therefore, if we are to be serious about being a student of God's word, it's not just from us looking at his word and saying, okay, I'm looking at it. God, I believe this is your inspired word. This is what you're trying to reveal to my heart, reveal to us as a people. But not only that, God, I want to carry this stuff. I want to uncover. I want you to lead your Holy Spirit. He leads me in understanding your word correctly. Correctly. And it's so important. And that's the reason we need teachers. That's the reason your connect leaders are so important. That's the reason the pastors that stand in front of you on Sunday morning are so important. It, it, they provide insight into this idea of interpretation. Now, let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at what it says here on the screen. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Paul's telling the church at Thessalonica. We thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. God reveals himself to you through his word today. The question about what happens here on Sunday mornings or when you have your daily reading or whenever you read God's word is, it's not a matter of if you read it, the greater weight of it all is, are you receiving it? Are you receiving it into your life? Did you know that when you sit down today for lunch, you're going to be receiving something into you? You're going to receive the, word, the, the, the food that's sitting there. And you're going to receive it. 
okay? And it's going to go through a process in your life. I mean, in your body, in your life, in your life too, especially if you eat too much of it. But anyway, but, but you're going to welcome it in. And there's a process that's going to take shape. I won't get into the process because it can get pretty graphic. But anyway, the same is true with God's Word. And the reason we can say and put it that way is because there's analogies made of just as the intake of food comes into us, also the intake of God's Word is very similar. Matter of fact, there's occasions in Scripture where, where certain individuals were commanded to eat the Word of God. And there's a picture there that we receive it. It becomes a part of the process of what God is doing in our lives. And this is an intense of what is being said here. So, So here's the idea. We go from revelation to interpretation, number three, to illumination. The Holy Spirit's work of bringing light to one's heart. Now, how does he do that? Well, there's two ways that God primarily speaks to us. There's number one, logos. And we looked at this last week. And that's the written word of God. I have no doubt that if I come to God's Word and and I study it and I put myself in it and I say, God, teach me, show me, He's going to come through with His Word. He does. He just does. And it enlightens us. That's illumination. But then there's something called rhema, which is a very interesting idea of how God's Word works. It's the spoken Word of God. Now, here it is. So then, faith comes by hearing... And hearing by the word of God. Now what does this mean? Logos, I believe, is, is the whole idea of prayerfully, prayerfully reading God's word. Do you know what it means to prayerfully read God's word? And we'll talk about more about this in just a moment. It's when I come to God's word and I say, God, this is your word. This is what you revealed to me. This is what you revealed to man. I want to properly see the interpretation of your heart, and I want to allow it to to awaken me and illuminate me to bring light to who I am and what needs to happen in my life, okay? That is what you would call prayerfully reading God's Word. But then there's a second thing, and it's that rhema. It's the spoken. It's prayerfully listening listening to God in prayer. Now, I have had to... I have had people tell me, and I shared this with you last week, that they have heard God's voice. That has never happened in my life, okay? Uh, Some of you are saying, well, are you sure you called? Well, (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, sometimes God, how many of you have noticed that God speaks even sometimes louder than a a voice that you hear? Have you ever sensed that in your heart? I definitely have sensed that part of it. So I'm not here to say, you know, you didn't hear from God's word verbally or vocally. I don't know what to think. That, that, that very well could happen because I read about that type of stuff in the Old Testament. But I am here to tell you, when it comes to your prayer life, the whole idea is for God to speak to your heart. Now, what's wrong with our prayer lives many times? We do all the talking. We do all the talking. And we don't allow him to speak to our hearts. Now, Scripture or God's Word, listen, means nothing to us unless we receive it or welcome it. But then we must see it in the context of our lives so it can work effectively in us. For God's Word to work effectively in us, there's a final step to this whole process. Okay? And this is where we're picking up today. And it's the whole idea of application. Determining the relevance of God's Word and then actively responding to it. 
Many Christians never get here. Let me tell you what happens to many people that show up on Sunday morning, Sunday mornings across America and the churches across America. Here, here's what happens. They come and they're convinced. Okay, pastor, you convinced me. This is the word of God. Okay, I, I trust that you correctly interpreted the word of God for me here today. You've brought the word. You've fed me the word. I can tell you that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I heard two people came to me today and talked to me about how God spoke to them just last week through the Word, okay? There's nothing more gratifying to a teacher than to hear that God is using them in that capacity, okay? And I'll tell you this, I'm not smart enough to know what your individual needs are out there. I'm not. But it is amazing what God does with his word when you proclaim his word, when you teach his word. It's amazing what happens out there where you are. And the reason I know that is because I do. I get people to come up to me the next week or during the week or send me an email. I just want to tell you how God used that word. And sometimes I'm amazed at how God uses the word because I don't remember saying any of that. But you know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit saying, I know the desperate need of this person's life. And if you'll get up there and you'll proclaim the word, I'll take over and do a work in their life. Let me tell you something very dangerous about this process we're talking about. I can come up here and I can teach the word. I can come up here and correctly divide the word, which is interpretation, what I believe is interpretation. And the Holy Spirit right there where you are can enlighten you as to what needs to happen in your life based on that word. And did you know in churches across America, it will happen right here this morning. People will leave and they'll feel, man, I heard God speak. But nothing will be done past that point. Did you know that happens every week? It happens. I've been a victim of that, or not a victim of that. I've done that. And here's what we need to understand. There's got to be us through the enlightenment, seeing that God is, wants to make his word relevant in our lives. And the only way that happens is to practically live out what he's showing us. And that's what we see in application. So look at James chapter 1. Look at verse 21. We looked at it last week. I've got a little more information for you. Here you go. It says this. Therefore, lay aside. Now, it's interesting how this is phrased. It's in the aorist tense. And here's what it literally means. It means, therefore, having put aside, okay? That means it implies something that was done back here that is continuing into the present, okay? He's literally talking to those who were saved, okay? So he's saying this, therefore, or therefore, having put aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, he's implying a change of direction, what do we know about scripture or what do we know about change of direction in the context of God? It means repentance. It means repentance, a change of direction. You're one way, now you're going the other way. So what does he say? He says, therefore, having put aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, we're talking about a change of direction. We're now receiving or we receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, now, let's break this down. The word receive literally means making it available, okay? Or, or availably welcoming it or bringing it in. When it says with meekness, it means change of control. Now, here's the problem with many of our lives right now. We want to be in control. How many of you would say, this past week, I dealt with issues in which I wanted to be in control? Am I the only one? 
Okay, thank you. You're making me feel better. That's, that's our problem all along. It's amazing how often the idea of meekness comes up in Scripture. Sometimes it's called different words. But it's amazing how often it comes. Here's what the word meekness means. It means power under control. It means I have the potential to, to go out and take control of my life. It may mean that I'm controlling it towards disaster but I'm taking control of my life, okay? When I receive the word with meekness, it means I am taking a passive role in this. It means I'm allowing something to be done unto me. It means I'm exchanging the controls that I have in my life and I'm turning them over to God. And how is he revealing his control and what he wants to do? Through his word. How do we know? He says it right here. We receive with meekness. It literally is the whole idea of having a teachable spirit. It means I haven't got it figured out. I haven't got everything already figured out. How many of you ever talk to people and they've got everything figured out? And they'll even tell you they got it figured out. And if you don't believe them, ask them. They'll tell you they got it figured out. But that's not what we're reading here. We're reading about someone who realizes that their desperate need, listen, is to hear from God. Is to hear from God. And how is it going to do that? By being teachable. Then we come to the implanted word. It's the idea that the word is taken in and there's a process going on within us. You know what, you know, you know what the Bible says that process is? You've heard it before, a long word, sanctification. And we talked about it a little bit last week. I'm being separated out from where I was to where God wants me to be. Okay? And, and so that's what's happening here. Which is able to save your souls. Now when he says which is able to save your souls, he's going back to that initial point of salvation. And then he says this, verse 22, but be doers of the word. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? It means that you're doing the word in such a way that it affects your mind, soul, and body. It, it, it's a part of who you are now. It changes your perspective on life. How many of you have ever taken a Bible course or a Bible study and, and you got into it and all of a sudden you came through it? Maybe it was eight weeks, nine weeks, 13 weeks. You remember when all these Bible studies lasted 13 weeks? Some of you remember Master Life. They lasted for years. But anyway, um, but, but there's a whole idea of going through something. How many of you have gone through a Bible study and came out on the other side and you now have a totally different perspective about some area of your life? Do you know what that is? It's this process going on. That's the reason these Bible studies are important. That's the reason poor Gary gets up here and says, you need to be in a connect group. If you ain't in a connect group, you're not connected. You're not, you need, <laughs> I mean, we know, they're, they're, listen, every one of those pa the pastors in your church have been radically changed by Bible studies. We believe in Bible studies. We believe that God wants to change our perspective. We believe that his word, he desires it to be processed in our lives. So why? Why would he want that? So that we can be doers, verse 22, and not only hearers only. Now, when it says not hearers only, it means merely hearers. It's the whole idea of a, a passive passivity. You hear it, but it has no bearing on you. Again, some of you will come in here today and leave, and you're going to hear it. It will have absolutely no bearing on you, no impact. He goes on, 
He says this, and this is where it gets kind of, this is where it gets tough to hear. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word deceiving yourselves there is literally the whole idea of miscalculation. Have you ever miscalculated something? I remember one time I saw something that was actually funny, and, it, and I shouldn't have laughed. And it was on TV, so no one heard me, okay? But, but anyway, uh, they were talking about this person who was going to take a bike, and they were going to jump off this ramp, and then they, they, they perfectly said exactly what they wanted to happen when they took off on the ramp. How many of you already understand what I'm getting ready to say? And they miscalculated what was going to happen. And their miscalculation was about a foot off. Guess what it led to? Many broken bones. <laughs> Disaster. Destruction. Here's what happened, John. There's a part of us in which we, maybe it's because we're born in the South. Maybe we had a grandmother in which God's word was dear to her. Maybe whatever it was. I don't know. But somehow, you look at God's word and you know that you should be reverent towards it. Okay? You know you don't mess with this book. How many of you know people like that? They're, they're, they don't live what is anything close to a Christian life or the life God intends them to live. But boy, there's a reverence for this. I know a lot of people that way. Now, the world, looking at the world, they're losing the reverence for it. But there's still a group of people out there like that. And here's what's interesting about that. You can have all the reverence for God's word. You can have it all. You can go to Sunday after Sunday, hear all these messages. You can even go to these Bible studies I'm talking about. And if you're a passive here and all you hear is words and nothing ever changes, guess what? The Bible says you made a miscalculation concerning your soul. You're not saved. It could start there. He's just saying it. He says for verse 20, 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, if anyone receives the revelation, has the right interpretation, is illuminated by the Spirit himself, look, and not a doer, or there's no application, the process has not come to completion, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Now, when you look at a mirror, what do you, what do you see? Unless it's one of them funny mirrors. You ever seen those where your head's like huge and all that? But anyway, you're looking in a mirror, which sees what you get. If it's your face, you're, you're just stuck with it, okay? That's what it is, okay? And so you're sitting there looking at it, and then all of a sudden, verse 24, for he observes himself, Goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That means it had no impact. No impact. Literally, you know what this means? It means when going to that mirror, that they, he may see the reflection of God's word. The Holy Spirit may be illuminating all kinds of things. But listen. He goes away. He immediately forgets what was really going on. Again, that's going to happen to a lot of you today. You're going to leave here and this word won't have any impact. You won't be challenged anymore to necessarily to live for Christ the way he calls you to live. To, to see application come to your life. 
And then it says in verse 25, for he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of God's word, and continues in it. Listen, the words there, some translations say, abides in it. It's really the idea, experiences it. And experiences it, he is not a forgetful hearer. That means there's an impact in the hearing. There's something happening. There's the process God intends. But a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This person will see results. Practically, what does this look like? Verse 26. Practically, what does it mean? If anyone among you thinks he's religious, if anyone among you thinks they've had a holy encounter with God and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You know what that literally means? They didn't have an encounter with God. Didn't happen. Let me tell you something that should haunt us. The tongue is not the only indicator of true spirituality. But it's one of the most reliable. Did you know that? You ever heard someone say, what you squeeze is what's what? Is what's on the inside? How many of you have life squeeze you sometimes? Are you amazed at what comes out? Does it, does it shock you or horrify you sometimes what comes out? Listen to this. Average person speaks 18,000 words a day. Average person. 18,000. A lot of words. It would fill 54 pages of a book. Some of us haven't read 54 pages in a long time, at one sitting anyway. But that's how many words we're putting out there every day. Now think about this. In a year, it would fill 52,800 pages. Guess how many pages are in the average Bible? 1,000. 1,000. Now, some of you say, oh, my Bible got 1,600. Well, that means you got a study Bible, okay? A lot of people said some things, and they put it in there, okay? But think about this. We're speaking enough words that we could take 53 Bibles and fill them up each year. How many of you are amazed about that? It's amazing. Now, think about this. 20% of our lifetime is spent Talking. Now, some of us, maybe we push 25%. I know some people. I know some of you. I know people I hang out with. It's a lot more. I won't give any names. But anyway, 25%. Now, a 75-year-old life, listen, would literally put 4 million words on the pages of a paper. I mean, on, on uh, pages. Four million, listen, pages of words is what we speak in an average lifetime. Can your speech be an indicator of where you are spiritually? Sure can. Sure can. Then he goes on, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the word. Are these the only three criteria to prove our spirituality? No. He's just practically trying to tell you here's what application looks like. And it may take the form of visiting widows. It may be taking the form of taking care of orphans. It's definitely a part of keeping yourself spot free from the world. But this is what practically it looks like. It's kind of interesting. So, so look on your outline. Six questions concerning 
illumination and application. Here's some things that we can ask ourselves once we get our minds where we need to be when it comes to God's word and prayer. Is there a truth I should believe about God? When I get to the point of illumination and application, is there a truth I should believe about God? Is there something I should trust God for? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there an attitude I need to change? Is there a motive I need to change? Is there a promise I can claim in my current situation? Is there someone I need to pray for? Did you know that most people, and there's been seasons of my own life, so I'm not condemning. I've been there myself. Did you know there's some people in which it's been a long time since they've even thought on terms that God could speak to them through these questions? And they just keep moving on. Read my chapter, read this chapter, read this little book. I've been reading for a devotion for many, many years. I said my prayer, I'm off, I'm gone for the day. And it never took time to reflect upon what God was showing them. Revelation, inspiration, I believe, are complete today. However, illumination, application must continue. Our salvation and spiritual growth depends on it. And here's my question for you. Are you experiencing the word of God? If not, why? When you are not experiencing God's word, let me tell you what happens. There's no victory in your life. You begin to doubt God. You begin to doubt your own salvation when you're not experiencing his word. If you're doubting your salvation, I guarantee you it's because at one time this process was working in your life. And now you no longer sense God's presence because it's not working any longer. How many of you remember a time, don't raise your hand, but you remember a time where it was so clear God was speaking to you. And it was almost, I mean, it seemed like each day he was just showing things and revealing things about him. Now, this is getting interesting. Um, I'm running out of time. There there may be a part four to this this beautiful passage here. Anyway, (laughs) look on your outline. I'm I'm definitely going to get through this. Oh, my goodness. I tell you. There's a lot of good stuff here. I I, I mean, not uh, anyway. (laughs) Here's what I want to do. Put your outline up. Part four is coming next week. I really thought I could do this in one week. really did. I want to ask you right now just to bow your heads, if you will. And I I want you to do a little reflecting. Maybe you don't do a lot of it during the week. Maybe your life is so busy. I I don't know. Maybe you got preschoolers hanging all over you or you're, you're just trying to get through life. But right now, I want you to reflect a little bit. And I want you to maybe, maybe these questions... From this sermon, I have attempted to bring the revelation of God's word, provide proper interpretation. And maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you've never known how to deal with a sermon or someone teaching you. And right now you're sitting there wondering, you know, God, it appears you're speaking to me. It appears there is something going on. And maybe you know the next step that needs to happen. Maybe it's something like this. Is there a truth I should believe about God based on what I heard here today? Is there something I should trust God for? That, that, that I'm holding all the strings and I'm holding on to controls and I'm trying to control it myself? 
And he's saying, hey, just trust me with this. Be anxious for nothing, but bring it to me. That's what he means by supplication. Bring it to me. Is there a command I need to obey? Maybe some of you here this morning and during this time of reflection, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know something? This process is not going on in my life on a regular basis. Can I just tell you this? You're totally missing what God has for you. And then maybe it's more like this. Maybe there's an attitude I need to change. Maybe there's a a, a discipline that needs to be built into my life. Maybe there's a motive I need to change. Maybe your motive for going to God's word is, is, is selfish in its own nature. Maybe you want to, to, to sense something from God, and so you're shortchanging the process, and you're just basically reading the chapter maybe each day, or maybe you're not doing anything, or maybe you're reading the daily devotion, or maybe you're not even doing that, or maybe you're just the only time you pray is at the meal. And you know that you need to get to that point where God is speaking to your life and speaking to you. Maybe for some of you, is there a promise I can claim in my situation today? Or is there someone I need to pray for? I don't know what God's doing in your life. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Wesley come up and just play softly. And I just want you to sit there this morning. And if you need to have someone pray with you, myself and Gary will be here at the front. If you need to get around this altar, the person beside you doesn't mind moving back if you need to get into the aisle. But I want us to take this time, this next three to five minutes, to just reflect. I don't want any of us to leave here today and not allow the whole process that I talked about happening. I want it to happen in your life. I want you to come out of this service and say, you know something, God? I want you to work. I'm tired of playing the game of going to church and pretending like everything's okay and keeping up appearances. I want a genuine work of you going on in my life. So as he plays softly, as you're there reflecting, if you need someone to pray with you, you need to get around Psalter, we're going to invite you to come in these next three to five minutes. Would you do that?